Please be seated, and our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. And for those that remain, I will invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 as we continue our series in this letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. We'll be looking at verses 12 to the first part of 18. This is God's word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is God's word. Let's pray that he'd teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we need you to be our teacher. We need you to send your spirit to take your word and apply it to our hearts and our lives that we would not merely understand it intellectually, Lord, but that it would seep down into the core of our hearts that we might be transformed by it. Lift Christ up before us, we pray. Amen. So some of you know that I was a campus minister for Reformed University Fellowship for about 10 years at Winthrop University. And one of my responsibilities was to raise all of the prayer and financial support for the ministry. And much of my summers were spent doing that. And I would visit churches and give reports on what was going on and uh, sometimes students would accompany me and share uh, their own stories. And, and we tried to encourage people with the vision of ministering on a college campus to reach people for Christ and equip them to serve. And inevitably, wherever I went, there was always someone who would ask me the, this question. So how many conversions have you seen? And on the one hand, that question aggravated me because if I wanted to just gin up numbers and and commitments, there were, were techniques and tactics I could rely on to do that so that it looked like uh, we were just doing all kinds of wonderful things, whether we were or not. Conversion is, is a work of the Holy Spirit and, and not just something that you can manufacture. And so we just wanted to be faithful whether the Lord brought those sorts of transformations or not. But on the other hand, I could understand that question because behind it, as I'm asking people to be praying for our ministry, to even maybe support the ministry financially, behind that was a question, is it effective? Is this a good use of our time and resources and energies? Is it accomplishing what we hope it would accomplish? 
It might be a good question for us to ask of ourselves, even if it does aggravate us on one hand. Because on the other, it might drive us to consider, do we wish we could improve our witness for Christ to our community? Do we know what it would take? Would it require more time? More money? More volunteers? More ministries? More programs? More effort? What what would it take for us to see our witness for Christ to the community improve? Well, in this passage, Paul is giving his own missionary report. The Philippians have sent him a a gift to encourage him and to support him while he's in prison, and he wants to let them know that their support of him is not in vain. And his missionary report gives us insight as to how we might see Christ proclaimed in every way. And so we're going to look at two things this morning. We're going to look at uh, this question. What are the best strategies for us to see our witness for Christ improve? And what are we trying to accomplish in our efforts to improve our witness to the community? And I, I must warn you, I have to warn you on the front end so you don't feel like I tricked you. The answers are not what you think. What are the best strategies and what are we trying to accomplish? The first thing I want us to see is that in order for our witness to be effective, we ought to understand what the best strategies are to share the gospel with other people. Here, Paul remarks that the gospel has continued to advance. And and sometimes I think we look out at our, our culture and we don't see the gospel advancing. We see it retreating in many respects and it's discouraging and we want to know why. How can we reverse course? What is it that Paul understands or what is it that Paul is doing that is seeing the gospel advance in a world that is actually more hostile to Christ than even ours is. Paul's ministry was effective in no small part because in his proclamation of the gospel, he was willing to confront directly and intentionally the idols of his culture. You see him do this In Athens, where there's an idol to every god, even the unknown god, you see him do this when he ministers to the Jews. You see him when he does this when he ministers to the Gentiles. In his proclamation of the gospel, he confronts the idols of his culture and shows how Jesus is Lord over and above all of those. And when we look out at our culture, what are the idols that we see? Radical individualism is running rampant, where everybody runs around acting like they're their own God and their own king, and and the only thing that matters is what they do for themselves, for their own interests. 
rather than the interests of others. Consumerism, which is connected and attached to that, seems to absolutely have infected the the Western world, where it's all about getting more and more and more, and all the pinches that we're feeling in the supply chain right now, it sort of gets to how easy it is to become a consumerist, even without realizing it. Our culture wants to pursue ease and comfort. And the problem, perhaps, with our witness, and the reason that the gospel doesn't seem to be advancing quite so much in our culture as it has in days past, may be that our witness all too often fails to actually confront the idols of our age. We ourselves have bought into them, worried about ourselves and the things that we want more than anything else, treating even church as a consumeristic affair, wondering, well, what am I going to get out of it today? But here is Paul in prison, and he writes a missionary report to his people that says, do you know what? Even though I'm here in prison, suffering in chains, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Don't miss the absolute remarkable power of what he just said. He's not saying... Even though I'm in prison, in spite of the fact that my missionary efforts have been halted, the gospel's still going out. That's not what he said. He said, because I am in prison, because I am suffering in chains, the gospel has advanced. God has used even this to really put forth the name of Christ with power in the world around me. Why? He tells us a couple of examples of how he sees it happen. In verse 13, he tells us that the the whole imperial guard and all the rest have become aware that his imprisonment is for Christ. Here in a society not unlike ours that valued success and prosperity, peace and wealth, Paul being thrown into prison and having, even as a Roman citizen, his whole life thrown asunder, you might imagine his jailers from time to time, because, so what are you in for exactly? What, what could you have possibly have done to deserve this. You seem like an intelligent person. What's going on with you? And he can tell them, I'm in prison because I believe Jesus is Lord. And I have devoted my life to proclaim that. What? What kind of person? Who is this Jesus? Who is the 
is Christ that deserves such devotion from you that you would languish in prison for him rather than go out and and be prosperous and successful? You see, in Paul's suffering, in the injustice that he bore up under, he had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to give a reason for his hope. A hope that could not be cast aside by imprisonment or suffering or even death because he served the Lord Jesus Christ who defeated even death. Caesar may have defeated his armies. Caesar may have brought peace and prosperity to the empire, but only the Lord Jesus Christ brings victory over death and grants eternal life. And Paul is willing to suffer shame, to suffer imprisonment, to suffer disrepute, whatever it may be as long as he can share the good news that there is one who has defeated sin and has defeated death. And the brothers, he tells us in verse 14, heard this, saw this, and while they were initially afraid of what what should we do, Paul's been thrown into prison, should we keep... Seeing how God is able to even work through Paul's imprisonment, they've become even more bold to go out and to share the truth of who Jesus is no matter what may come because they know they're not confident in Paul. They've become, it says, confident in the Lord. They know that the Lord is able to use whatever may happen to them for the advance of the gospel. Understand, Paul's strategy for sharing Christ isn't a technique. It's not a tactic. It's not a a list of things to do or not to do. His strategy for bearing more effective witness to Christ in the community he's in, is simply to submit everything he has, all that he is, to Christ and his service for his glory. What will it take for us to see our witness improve in the community? It won't take a technique. It won't be a tactic. It will be a willingness to submit all that we have and all that we are to the service of Christ. To go where he leads. To stand firm when he calls us into suffering. To stand firm even against the devil himself. Because we know that our confidence isn't in the flesh, but it is in the Lord, Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead. What would that look like here? The Lord may call some of us 
into great discomfort. He might draw into our midst messy people that require love and patience. Oh, maybe we are already a bunch of messy people. Don't get me wrong. But maybe it will require us to be patient with those who are inquiring. What is this Christ you believe in? People unlike us who don't believe the way we do. What would it look like for us to patiently and lovingly proclaim to them the reasons for the hope that we have in Christ? It might require hard repentance turning from the ways we've always done things to the way that Christ is calling us to live and to serve, going out into places maybe we've been afraid to go thus far. It may require awkward conversations. It may require bearing up and enduring even disaster. There was an author that wrote... uh, The trellis and the vine, oh, I don't know, this was almost 10 years ago now, who had a little thought experiment towards the end of the book. They said, what if uh, a virus were to afflict the whole world so that we couldn't gather for worship anymore? What would your church's discipleship look like? And we all read that 10 years ago and thought, I mean, that'll never happen. What if, though, a hurricane were to come through and flatten all of our buildings? What would our discipleship and worship and ministry look like? We've suffered much as a little congregation. Not just from COVID, we have watched so many fall ill with cancer, or other afflictions, and die, some too early, but all missed greatly. The Puritans used to talk about the, the witness that Christians could have in dying well. As we face that greatest of sufferings, the greatest of unknowns, from a human perspective. And yet to stand firm in our faith, to die well, to bear witness, even in that great suffering, to the glory of Christ. Paul says he's willing even to suffer if it means Christ is exalted. Are we sure Are we sure that we want to improve our witness for Christ to the community? That we want to stand in opposition to the idols of our culture, even the idols of our own heart, that Christ might be exalted no matter the cost. And if we do, what do we think that we will accomplish. The culture has its idols. The church has her idols too. 
Sometimes we go out and we minister and we bear witness, but our witness is really about us and not Jesus. Come, join us, build up our numbers, make our community larger. Look at our buildings. Come to this safe environment where you can can be at ease. Be like us. We have it all together, and you can too if you just do it the way that we do it. And it's very easy to start preaching a prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. And here... Paul remarks that there are those who are going out doing something very similar. But they're not preaching a false gospel. They're preaching sound doctrine like we would like to think we do as well. Teaching the truth of who Jesus is and what the resurrection means and what it, what it entails that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. They are preaching right and true doctrine. They're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Some of your translations say that they're going out for rivalry or selfish ambition. They're going out and preaching Christ and they look back at Paul who's now in prison, whose missionary work has been cut short and they're saying things like, if you just listen, you can almost hear them talking. Like Paul must have really messed up to find himself in such a circumstance. And look how ineffective his ministry is. He was once out there planting churches everywhere. He had plans to go to Rome and then to Spain and to the the uttermost parts of the world taking the gospel of Christ. But now look at him and for what? That's not how my ministry is going to be. That's not how my ministry is going to go. And so, very subtly, they preached good and true and right doctrine about Christ. But under the surface, they were really motivated by their own self-interest and their own glory. But there were others. There were others who preached out of goodwill who shared Christ out of love. A love for Paul, a love for the church, a love for Christ. And so they didn't go out to afflict Paul and to make things worse on him. Look at us, Paul. We're doing better than you. They shared in Paul's sufferings. They were willing to risk imprisonment themselves. And they proclaimed Christ because Christ is glorious, because they loved him, and because they found in him redemption from their wickedness and eternal and everlasting life. And they wanted everyone else to know that truth too. What are we trying to accomplish? Paul here says 
He's not going to get too caught up or too riled up or too down about those who are preaching Christ out of rivalry. The thing that makes him rejoice is that the name of Jesus is going forth. In every way, at every place, in everything, Christ is being lifted up and exalted. And in that, he rejoices. And so he has in this a kingdom mindset where he has submitted himself, all that he has and all that he is and all that he does, not for his own kingdom and the the kingdom of radical individualism, but to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, to him and him alone. Wherever Christ is exalted, he's glad. How, How might we develop that kingdom mindset here. And there are a lot of ways that we do and have in our partnerships with other organizations and other churches. We can learn renewed humility in our distinctives. Yes, it's Reformed and Presbyterian. It says so on the sign. We don't have to be ashamed of those things but we don't have to be prideful in them either. It can manifest itself in a love for one another, a willingness to pray for the kingdom of Christ, for the advancement of the gospel in all the churches in our region. What might it look like just for us? So practically, like today, what might we Think about afresh. What might we do anew that would help us grapple more effectively with what it means to have this kingdom mindset that rejoices when Christ is proclaimed, when Christ is lifted up? I'm sure there's no end of examples that we could come up with, but here are a few. We could become more comfortable in being a sending church. It's one of the the frustrating parts of this area that I thought I wouldn't really have to deal with. Like in college ministry, every three or four years, you have a whole new group because people keep coming and they keep leaving. They come and they leave and that just becomes a part of it. And you come to a community where people buy houses and they live and you, you kind of expect folks to stay forever the air force and the navy and the army the dod and various and sundry other organizations sometimes think differently and decide to send people other places even places we don't want them to go sometimes people just on their own decide i'm not going to thrive here and i want to thrive somewhere else Sometimes work calls them away. Sometimes medical reasons call them away. What would it look like for us, as sad as we are, to see people go, to embrace what it means to be a sending church, to send them out with love and prayer and affection wherever they may go? 
It would look like when new people show up, we introduce ourselves to them. Right? Like there are a, a lot of people, some of you are sitting out here and some of you are watching on the live stream who've looked up and you've realized all the people I used to know, where are they? They're gone. COVID has made it hard for us to fellowship. It's made us hard to, to hang out. But, but there are a ton of people here. And if you don't know someone, if you want to be an effective sending church, you can't wait until they leave to get to know them. Go today and introduce yourself to them. Maybe they're a college student at CNU or Thomas Nelson or the Apprentice School. And you can just... Shower them with love. Maybe they're new to the area. Maybe they're just passing through. Maybe they're family members of other members in the church. But you can step out of your comfort zone and be willing to greet someone that you don't know and show them hospitality. So that when the day comes where they do have to part from our midst, they part with your love because you knew one another. And you prayed for one another. And you encouraged one another when times were hard. It might also not just look like us becoming comfortable being a sending church. It might look like us becoming comfortable being a serving church. That's not to say we don't do things. We have volunteers doing all sorts of things, serving in all sorts of ways. But there is a temptation for us to to be content to invite people into our midst. And that's good. Keep doing that. Invite people all the time. But it's easy for us to think that that's all God calls us to do. Just invite people into our midst where we can greet you and be kind to you when you come and show up here. But if we want to improve our proclamation of Christ to our community, we should think about what it looks like for us to go out into the community and serve. Looking for nothing in return but the exaltation of Christ. Maybe that means we partner with the elementary school's ESL program. Maybe that looks like you, who happen to have some gift and talent in something, go and be a part of a community group that is gifted and talented in those things, and you just serve those in that group well. I don't know. I don't want to dictate to you what that service looks like. But at the very least, it looks like having eyes for where people are in need around you and being willing to step out in faith, confident in the Lord, that there may be an opportunity in that to show the very love of Christ to a lost and dying world. How might we develop a kingdom mindset? There are all sorts of ways, but those are two. Will we find ourselves in places where the Lord might give us those opportunities? That's a scary place to be. Lord, we want to improve our witness to the community. I almost didn't want to preach this sermon. Lord, I, 
We want to improve our witness, but we recognize that might be a call to suffer. That might be a call to serve sacrificially and selflessly. That might be a call to die to ourselves and to live solely for Jesus. And we don't know if we're ready for that. So maybe, maybe it's time for us to pause on our own ambitions as a church and prostrate ourselves before the living God and ask him, how would you use us, Lord? This is why we have the prayer time before the service, that we could gather as a church and just seek his face. What would you do in us? What would you do through us, O Lord, that we with Paul might be able to declare what has happened to us has really served to advance the gospel. You have been at work with such power, O Lord, that in every way Christ is proclaimed. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what would it, what would it mean for us, O oh Lord, for you to come and work in our midst with power? We don't know. We know what you are capable of. We know that you are the Lord and Savior of all who come to you by faith. We know that you have defeated death. We know that you have granted your followers everlasting life. And we know that you long to bring your whole flock in. So Lord, our prayer is this. Exalt yourself before us, that we might be reminded of your glory and of your majesty and of your might. That it might And seeing that, that we might be changed and transformed to go forth and serve for your glory wherever you lead. Do this among us, we pray, for the name and sake of Christ. Amen.